Chapter 16 By the Grinding Opposition of Moral Entities People up above know something about the Down Under. What I knew was that it was a secondary shelter, storage, plumbing, and electric. It was where workers spent most of their time keeping the lights on and the pipes flowing. Every so often, supplies would emerge from the Down Under as part of our rationing plan. More food, more toiletries, books, medicine. But it was a lie. Four days ago, I woke up in a cot, covered by a heavy wool blanket. I felt weak and foggy, with no real memory of anything as far back as wandering through the door separating the medical bay and the long tunnels and chambers underneath H.G. World. The room was dim. I felt a stinging sensation in my left arm. Like every other part of my body, my right arm was slow to respond and hard to move. I was able to drag it over my belly and up to my elbow where I felt a needle and bandages. In the faint light, I could see the outline of an IV bag suspended over me. In the world where I live, being out of control or helpless is the most terrifying thing possible. You're at the mercy of the world, and the world is cruel. Somehow, though, I didn't feel the panic I expected. I was gravely concerned, of course, but the fact that feeling like a 300-pound sack of duh didn't cause me to wig out made me realize that I had been drugged up pretty well. It didn't seem like morphine or some euphoric, not that I know much about using drugs, but it just felt like that one beer beyond your limit just before the room starts spinning and your stomach starts turning. It was like being drunk, but in reverse. Usually you feel that way and sleep it off. Here, I realized that I woke up to the worst of it and had to wait for it to work its way out of my system. The thought of my condition being permanent or the result of some brain injury did not cross my mind. My memory was shot. Even if I had wanted to scream or panic, my body just did not have the strength. Without much else to do, I decided to start pulling together scraps of memory to put into a pattern. My clothes were different. I was dressed in cotton sweats, no underwear except socks. No shoes, no phone, no lights, no motor cars, not a single luxury. If I'm lucky, the same TV theme is in your head now as was somehow stuck in mine. The quiet of the room was comforting. The darkness was broken by a small frosted window over a doorway. The squeaking of my cot underneath me did not echo hard, so I decided I must have been in an office with carpets, soft wood instead of concrete or naked drywall. Actively seeking information keeps me calm. It keeps things real and manageable. Once the immediate concern about my safety was addressed, that there were no flesh-eating monsters or men with guns around me, I could try to remember why I was in my situation. The harder I tried to focus, the more foggy and disengaged my brain became. I could only focus on what was in range of my senses. Shredded memories. Feelings. Ghosts. Soon, however, I began to drift off and let go of the struggle. I found it easier to let the memories coalesce in my dreams. And you know what? 
They did. Part 2 I remember walking downstairs to a long, bowing tunnel about 15 feet wide that ran the length of H.G. World's foundation. Its curving descent made it difficult to see more than 40 or 50 feet before the floor of the tunnel disappeared from view into the ceiling. The walls up to that point were the bright, bloody red of the H.G. World store brand. Every few feet, you saw a sign aimed at employees, stenciled reminders of the five S's and the corporate values. Work rolls tacked to corkboard, scheduled long expired, and shipping manifests for products they probably don't make anymore. It was all pretty corporate. There was an employee break room to one side with empty vending machines and clean spots on dirty counters where microwaves and TV monitors had been. Down a bit further were locker rooms for the boys and girls. When the floor leveled out, the dimly lit corridor went largely dark save for some small floor lights bleeding in from various doorways left and right. Every noise, every footstep was amplified by the hard concrete and plaster. I worried that the lights might be motion-triggered, which would give me away if I moved too far along the tunnel. At the same time, I was worried that they weren't on a sensor too. It felt like the main tunnel was taking me to a warehouse area because the floors were marked for forklift traffic and pedestrians to share. Knowing that the warehouse was to double as a civil defense shelter in case of a disaster, the complexity of the structure made sense. If the National Guard or whoever needed to mobilize a lot of materials in short order, this would be the way to do it without driving through the relocation area up top. It would also keep things from getting looted by the refugees. I doubt they ever planned for the actual emergency or had time to staff the lower level appropriately because I never saw the army or FEMA here. Just the shiny, happy faces of the HG World Management Team. I couldn't be sure where I was in relation to the store above me or how far down the slope had taken me. The walk was disorienting, especially with the distraction of every sound and trying to see in all directions at once. Dark and empty was not what I expected. Maybe I expected albino mutants working the steam generators or super-intelligent apes spinning metal release valves and studying us up above. I really had no choice but to keep moving, keep looking. There were many doors casting a dim light through gaps at their base or through frosted windows. I decided that if I tripped a light or set off an alarm, I could still claim I got turned around or thought the door out of the medical bay was a bathroom. Depending on who they sent from up above, I could pull it off. The thought occurred to me that it might be one of the workers down here, someone I never saw before, but maybe they would understand. After all, there were supposed to be workers down here, right? Plumbers and electricians, people with strong backs and good with tools. They were down here to work, too. Slightly reassured by my own lies, I took steps forward. No lights clicked on. No alarms sounded. No red lights or buzzers. I pulled out my cell phone and shook it awake. Once unlocked, I held the face of it up to each door to see if there were markings. I don't know how far down the tunnel I walked or how many doors I checked. Between the odd echoes and the growing fear of being found in the dark, I just kept going and looking, 
not sure what I expected to find, driven only by my curiosity, which, for the moment, silenced my fears, but left my head swimming like you'd feel in anticipation of a date or a job interview. The first sound of scurrying brought that fear right back, and that's when things get muddled. If the sound of tiny claws on stone wasn't enough to scare me back, the sudden tickle of fur and whiskers on my ankles that was the end of my Nancy Drew adventure and the start of what was probably a very funny Daffy Duck fit. I found my way through an unlocked steel door with a handle I literally fell down on and opened by sheer stupid crazy fits. My fear of falling down to eye level with vermin caused me to grasp at the handle and carry the door open as I tried to untangle my feet and legs. Graceful. Light filled the hallway, revealing a terrible little gang of rats, the vermin incarnation of Burgess's savage droogies. I say that because the one staring at me looked exactly like a hairy Malcolm McDowell down to the psychotic glare on his sneering little plague-carrying face and his beautiful eyes framed by long black lashes. I hate rats, with the kind of irrationality that drives ministers to speak in tongues and makes Skrillex popular with freshmen. There could have been a coven of witches and ghouls in that chamber, and I would not have cared. I crab-walked around the door and out of the corridor, thankful that the door itself shut before any of the droogy rats could find a penis sculpture to chase me around with. Coincidentally, as my comfortably numb recollection of events brought me to that point, my memories seemed to come alive as the room flooded with bright light. It took me a moment to realize that the light was real, and not in my imagination, and that the shape standing in the door might be a very bad person intent on doing very bad things to me. In my current frame of mind, however, I was happy enough it wasn't a giant rat.